Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I'm Kathy, spelled with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Reno, Nevada. Known as the biggest little city in the world, as proclaimed on the iconic Reno Arch, which spans Virginia Street in downtown, Reno boasts attractions that can keep you entertained 24 hours a day. There are casinos where you can gamble the night away, world-class ski resorts within a 20-minute drive, and the Truckee River, which winds its way through downtown Reno, is the perfect place to kayak or just float down the river, or maybe even stop at one of the local hotspots overlooking the river for a drink. Nevada has had its share of politicians making the news for one reason or another, and in 2006, the death of a Nevada politician rocked the state and made headlines nationwide. Kathy Augustine was born and raised in Southern California, receiving a bachelor's degree in political science from Occidental College and a master's in public administration from Cal State Long Beach. She was always very interested in politics and somewhere during her college career actually had an internship in Washington, D.C. Despite her interest in politics, after graduating, she went to work for Delta Airlines as a flight scheduler and she had a short stint as a flight attendant. That was roughly 12 years, and during those 12 years, she had two short-lived marriages, one of which produced a daughter named Dallas. During her stint as a flight attendant, Kathy met Charles Augustine, a pilot for Delta Airlines who was 16 years her senior and wound up marrying him. They moved to Las Vegas with Kathy's daughter Dallas in 1988, where Kathy continued to work for Delta Airlines. Four years after having moved to Las Vegas, Kathy returned to her original passion, which was politics, and she was elected to the Nevada State Assembly in 1992, where she served for a one, two-year term. After that, she was elected to the Nevada State Senate in 1994, where she served for four years before being elected as Nevada's first female state controller in 1998. This is significant because in the state of Nevada, the state controller is one of six constitutional officers. So she was, after entering politics, a top dog in a very, very short amount of time. And Nevada was actually a great place to do that because in a lot of ways, Nevada is a very small town, which sounds funny. There's only about 3 million people in the state, which I know in terms of California, that's a really small amount. But if you think about it, about 2.5 million of those people are in Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is. 
Nevada still has another 16 counties that roughly have about 500,000 people in it. And back in 1993, it was half that. So she was a big fish in a small pond in a very short amount of time. She was. So Kathy Augustine's tenure as state controller was not without problems. She had a reputation for being difficult to work with and a nightmare to work for. Now, full disclosure, back when Kathy Augustine was state controller, I lived in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. So I had a lot of friends who worked in political circles, and I would hear stories about all of this. Now, the difficult to work with description, Kath, I think you and I both take issue with that. Mm -hmm. She was strong, she was intelligent, and she was intimidating and ambitious. Any man with those characteristics... He's just ambitious. Exactly. <laughs> He's a man to be looked up to. Totally. Yeah, and instead, it was a total double standard. Mm -hmm. She was not appreciated for any of that. However, the nightmare to work for, I have a problem with that. She bullied her staff. She intimidated her staff. She was not empathetic at all. And she had a huge staff turnover. And to me, that speaks volumes about any boss oh, for sure. and the kind of person they are. Exactly. In 2003, Charles Augustine was hospitalized for a stroke. After 17 years, Kathy and Charles were still married, but they'd been living separate lives for many years. Yeah, like seven years. Yeah. And a lot of it was the political ambition she had. You know, she was ready to go take on the world and she had higher aspirations than state controller. She probably wanted to go to Congress. And she wasn't living in Vegas with him. Right. And because of his age, being 16 years older, he was probably looking more towards retirement where she was now in a field where she always was out having to do functions and parades and right. meetings and what have you, because as a politician, you're constantly running for office. Right. She was upwardly mobile and he was winding himself down. Right. And wanted her there and she didn't want to be there. Exactly. And where was she living? She was living in... She was uh, living in Reno, Nevada, which is about 25 miles north of the capital city of Carson City. But I will say that in Nevada, it took you 25 minutes to go 25 miles because there weren't a lot of people people along this stretch of road. She was living there because of her duties in Carson. Right. Yes. So all constitutional officers had offices in Carson City and down in Las Vegas. Carson City, of course, being the state capital, Las Vegas being where all the people lived. So she could have been in either place, but the majority of time, the constitutional officers were in the north in their Carson City offices. After the stroke, Kathy spent a lot of time in Las Vegas so that she could be closer to Charles as he recovered. He was in the hospital for about six weeks, and they'd begun talking about discharging him and moving him to a facility to begin his rehabilitation. But on August 19th of 2003, Charles Augustine suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. In 2002, so about a year prior to this, Kathy had been running for a second term as state controller. And in November of 2002, she was reelected. After the stress of the campaign in the beginning of 2003, she had started talking about wanting to go to Hawaii for several weeks, and she just hadn't gotten around to it. And then, of course, Charles got sick. After he passed away, Kathy made a point of deciding to go to Hawaii at that time. Like she just said, I'm going, I'm, I'm not going to put this off. Exactly. You never know how short life is going to be. Right. But what really surprised everybody is that she took somebody with her. It was one of Charles's critical care nurses, a man named William Charles Higgs, who went by the name of Chaz. Chaz. Yep, he was that guy. I actually watched an episode of a British TV program called A Killer's Mistake, mm -hmm. and episode seven covered Kathy Augustine's case. What they said in this episode, and a lot of it was from a TV reporter named Victoria Campbell and a journalist named Linda Rodriguez, who were working Carson City at the time. 
On this program, it talked about how Kathy was very grateful for the hospital staff, and she sent everybody thank you notes, but did not send one to this guy, Charles. Chaz. Chaz. Instead, she called him up and said, oh, sorry, didn't send you a thank you note. You want to go to coffee. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so, but they apparently had chemistry anyway. Like um, from the beginning when they met in the hospital? Correct. One of the reporters said that when Chaz was interviewed, he said that they immediately had chemistry right away, blah, 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 blah. Probably flirted at Charles's it, yeah. bedside. So, so probably the whole, oh, I didn't send you a thank you note. Let's go to coffee. Was It was a ploy. Exactly. It was a total segue into, you know, bow, chicka, bow, wow. <laughs> But it actually was, because then she took him to Hawaii with her. Exactly. At that time, Kathy was 48, and Chaz was a younger man. He was 39 years old. Oh. Mm. But if everybody was shocked by her taking Chaz with her to Hawaii, they were even more shocked when she returned three weeks later, and they were married. (laughs) Wow. This uh, TV show that I had just referenced, A Killer's Mistake, one of the things they talked about was how Kathy had a million dollars in life insurance from her husband. She had a nice home in Vegas, and then she had this other home in Reno. And Chaz, although he was a critical care nurse, was living in an RV at the time. And apparently he had a history of what's the word I'm looking for? Bankruptcy. Well, no, I don't. Well, I don't know if he. I don't know if he had a actually. He did. Oh, did he? Yeah, he filed for bankruptcy twice. Oh, mm-hmm. but yeah. So supposedly he was not exactly Mr. Responsibility when it came to money, and so this was a significant uptick in his lifestyle when he married Kathy. And he actually, though, as somebody who was there and read the news, Charles had three adult sons from a prior marriage, and. As we mentioned, he and Kathy had not been living together for several years, six, seven years. She inherited everything and shared nothing with his actual three children. Oh, that's such a bummer. Yeah. It did nothing to help her reputation. For sure. As being a hard person. Exactly. Despite the new marriage and things going well on the personal side of Kathy's life, as I had talked about before, Kathy had a problem with how she treated her staff. So in September of 2004... Augustine's staff had clearly had enough of how she was treating them, and they went to the Ethics Commission to share exactly what Kathy was doing in that office. She was accused of using state personnel and equipment for her personal re-election campaign that had happened in November of 2002. This is a big no-no for all politicians. Every state and all political offices are bound by ethics statutes that prohibit this from happening. Basically, it skews the playing field in favor of incumbents, and it's not fair play. Which makes perfect sense. Nobody should be able to use state resources for their own personal campaign gain. Exactly. The taxpayers who are paying the salaries of all these staff are not paying them to make sure that their boss gets reelected. Exactly. And that's why they have these ethics statutes in place. Two months after the investigation had concluded, she was impeached by the Nevada State Assembly in November of 2004. Following a week-long trial in the Nevada State Senate, Kathy Augustine was convicted of one charge, but she was acquitted of three others and became the very first Nevada state official to ever be impeached. Once she was convicted on the one charge, they now have to impose a penalty. Kathy Augustine was censured, which is basically a formal condemnation by the Nevada state legislature saying what she did was wrong, and it was against the standards that they hold themselves to. Even though she was censured, she was allowed to remain in office, and the Nevada Ethics Commission fined her $15,000, which at the time was a record fine in the state for doing something. Now, remember, this is in November of 2004, 
So she's looking at the next political election, which would have been in November of 2006. And term limits prohibited her from running for a third term as Nevada State Controller. So she decided she was now going to run for Nevada State Treasurer. The problem was the impeachment. In January of 2006, she actually announced her candidacy for Nevada State Treasurer, even though the Republican Party had told her they were not going to back her. They saw a woman who was a Republican, but she was running for the treasurer's office with an impeachment as part of her baggage. And what they were afraid is that people would not vote for her because of the impeachment, regardless of political party, and they didn't want to take the chance. That sounds reasonable. It absolutely is. And so in May of 2006, the party actually voted to deny her any party support for the state treasurer's race. I read somewhere that all of this created a lot of tension in her marriage. Apparently, Chaz didn't enjoy going to the functions and things like that. He was not interested in politics at all. And her friends basically said they had this immediate whirlwind infatuation and a quick marriage, but they didn't hold a lot of the same interests. Well, and daily life intrudes. Right. You've got to take the trash out. You've got to go to the grocery store. You've got to do laundry. And it's not the fun Hawaiian getaway that you want it to be. I can't even imagine marrying after three weeks. But at some point, the real work of life in a marriage hits you in the face. Right. And if you don't have similar interests, oh, my goodness. Right. And Kathy Augustine, one of her best friends was then a state senator named Sandra Tiffany. And she had said that Chaz. 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 I like the way you say that. (laughs) Chaz. (laughs) He never spoke more than a few words in the entire time she knew him. She said maybe he spoke a paragraph in a few years. That was not him. He was, however, still working as a critical care nurse, this time in northern Nevada at Washoe Medical Center. In the early morning hours of Saturday, July 8, 2006, Kathy Augustine was found unconscious in her South Reno home by her husband, Chaz. He called 911 and told the operator that she wasn't breathing and didn't have a pulse. He also told the operator he had performed CPR and that he needed help. The operator dispatched the paramedics to his home, and when they arrived, Chaz told the paramedics that he believed his wife had had a heart attack. The paramedics were actually able to revive her to the point of getting a heartbeat and respiration, and they took her by ambulance with her husband in the ambulance to the Washoe Medical Center. She never regained consciousness. She was placed on life support. Because of who she was, there was an immediate news buzz about town. And while she was still on life support, her husband gave interviews and he also held a press conference. And that press conference was on the steps of the Capitol. Isn't that right? It was on the front steps of the Capitol. Yes. And he he was surmising that she had a heart attack and his ruminations about it and his opinions about it were repeated in various news articles at the time. Right. He was saying that it was based on the stress of her job. Not only had she had the impeachment, but again, as I had just mentioned, she wanted to run for the state treasurer's office in 2006, and she had party pushback to the point where just a couple months prior to this, they had said that they would not support her. Right. So he, he was blaming all the politicians for her death, essentially. That was exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And not only that, but because he was out there talking about it, and honestly, people couldn't imagine what could have happened to her to put her in this position. The newspapers at the time, without having any sort of autopsy done, they were all reporting that it was a heart attack. Mm-hmm. What they did is her family and her husband looked over her will and made the determination that she would not want to have existed on life support. And so after three days, they took her off life support and she passed away. Kathy Augustine's funeral was held in Las Vegas on July 14th, 2006. 
And as you can imagine, with somebody of her stature, hundreds and hundreds of people came out to pay their respects. And it was quite a show covered by the media, et cetera, et cetera. And you have some inside scoop <laughs> as to what happened at the funeral so you can share. So a little inside baseball. When the funeral was a little late to start, there were murmurs through the crowd about what the holdup was. And people realized that Chaz Higgs hadn't arrived yet. Shortly after that, they got the news that Chaz Higgs had tried to kill himself that morning by slitting his wrists and was actually found by Dallas Augustine, Kathy's daughter, and he was taken to a hospital. Was this an announcement that was made or was it like everybody like text messaging kind of thing? It, was, it wasn't an announcement that was made. It was just something that kind of through the crowd became common knowledge. Wow. So everybody realizes he's not going to be there. I think they were waiting for the funeral to start when all of a sudden Chaz Higgs walked into the church and everybody was amazed, right? They just heard that he had tried to kill himself, that he was in the hospital. People are looking at his wrists to see if they can see bandages. Was it Chaz Higgs? Nope. Chaz Higgs has an identical twin brother named Mike. And he was the one who had walked in. That is crazy. No kidding. It's the dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. According to an article in the Las Vegas Sun by Ed Koch and Mary Manning, during a preliminary autopsy, the Washoe County Medical Examiner said that there was no evidence of Kathy Augustine having long-term heart disease. So the heart attack was ruled out as the reason for her death. But the medical examiner did find an unexplained puncture mark on her hip, and Reno police had received a tip suggesting that Kathy may have been poisoned. According to an episode of Forensic Files called Political Thriller, the medical examiner testified that she saw two puncture wounds on the hip. And it was interesting because they were close by and they had created a bruise, and she thought it was an odd location because why would she ever have been given medication at this location? And so she believed that it was a result of an injection, but she couldn't say when or what it was or anything like that. Which makes sense then about the tip that Kathy may have been poisoned. Correct. So Reno Police Detective Dave Jenkins began an investigation and said at the time that, quote, it would have necessitated someone who could have access to Kathy in the moments before she lapsed into unconsciousness. Once the police started investigating, they went back to the beginning, the 911 call, the paramedics, and the co-workers. Right. And the 911 call, I wish I would have been able to find a site from which I could have downloaded this without violating 17 million copyright <laughs> laws. I appreciate that. But I couldn't, and it wasn't on any of the news feeds. However, on the episode of Forensic Files entitled Political Thriller... Season 13, episode four, if you're interested, <laughs> at minute 9.50, <laughs> they play the 911, or at least a portion of the 911 tape, and it is the most nonchalant 911 call you will ever hear. Like he was ordering pizza. Oh my gosh. It was like, paramedics, this is an emergency. And he's like, yes, this is an emergency. What's the matter? Something's wrong with my wife. She's not breathing. I, I don't know what happened to her. She's been stressed out a little bit lately. I mean, they might as well have been talking about daisies in a park. It was so like, da-da-da-da-da. And then at some point, he's like, okay, well, um, I'm going to go back to giving CPR, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like, all right. 
and he talks about the fact that he's a critical care nurse. Like it was ridiculous. And so one of the suspicious things was that when the paramedics actually got to the house and they saw what condition she was in, she was lying in bed. It was clear that he had not been giving her CPR because he's a nurse. He knows you're supposed to put somebody on a hard surface so that when you're actually giving compressions, it's meaningful. So that if he was actually doing it on the bed, he's not doing it to try and save her life. And you would hope a critical care nurse would know that. Yeah, exactly. You can get that from a CPR class. You don't have to be trained as a nurse to know that. Right. Anyway, so the officers get the 911 tape and they're like, what? (laughs) I also heard that he was waiting outside of the house for the paramedics when they got there. Oh, I have no idea. So he was taking a break? Yeah. (laughs) Like maybe his arms were sore. (laughs) I don't know. Let's put it this way. It was a calm, cool, collected voice, not the hysterical voice you would expect out of a man whose wife wasn't breathing. Right. So I know before they got her into the ambulance, they were able to get her breathing again, correct? They got her heart going. Right. Which was surprising. To whom? Chaz? Chaz. But here's the deal. He's in the ambulance on the way to the hospital with her. Mm -hmm. They get her breathing. She has a pulse. He is reading the newspaper. (laughs) I I don't even know what to say to that. Although I have to confess, when I read that line about him reading the newspaper all all casually, I totally had this flashback to when I was in the hospital having my fourth child, and it was before things got really bad with delivery, but I was in a lot of pain, and my husband was giving me sort of like a really lame one-handed back rub (laughs) while he was watching NYPD Blue. understand if somebody might be leaping. Yeah. I mean, hopefully if I'm in an ambulance not breathing, he wouldn't have a newspaper in front of his face, but that's, you never know. that's totally what I flashed. Kath, <laughs> <laughs> why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call brown or crazy a little bit <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy go to badlandsfood.com slash killer d and watch Catherine's video right now again that's b-a-d-l-a-n-d-s-f-o-o-d.com slash killer d save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
even more damning than the 911 call or the inappropriate ambulance ride to the hospital were the conversations that police had with Chaz's coworkers, otherwise known as Chaz. Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> it was widely known that the image that he presented to the media when he was talking about how happy his marriage was, was just patently false. All of his coworkers said that he continually trash-talked his wife. He spoke about she was domineering and that she was a bully and that he always would criticize her appearance. I don't know what he was thinking. Like he went before the media like this super loving, oh, my wife, my wife, victim Marie. But did he not think that detectives were going to ask the people around him how he actually spoke and felt? I found it odd. Well, and don't you think his coworkers would have been looking at that saying, well, you're lying about this. What else are you lying about? Totally. Like what? Yeah, exactly. So on July 7th of 2006, which is the day before Kathy Augustine was taken to the Washoe Medical Center, he had a conversation with a fellow coworker named Kim Ramey. And in fact, he had two conversations with her. The first conversation... And she he, was a critical care nurse as well, I think. Yes, you're exactly right. Okay. The first conversation is where he admitted to her that his marriage was essentially over and that he had plans to divorce his wife. Hmm. Very different than the persona he's presenting. Right. The second conversation that he had with her, which was later that day, they were talking about a very widely publicized case in Reno about a man who was in the middle of a divorce and he killed his wife and then he shot the judge who was presiding over his trial and then fled to Mexico. Or as you would say, he dipped. He dipped, yeah. <laughs> not a good divorce plan. No, no, not really <laughs> at all. Not at all. So what Chaz had said, and I guess it was just kind of a comment during the conversation, is, quote, that guy did it wrong. If you want to get rid of someone, you just hit them with a little sucks because they can't trace it post-mortem. Now, sucks referred to a drug called succinylcholine, which is a very powerful paralytic drug that is commonly used in the emergency room and is used as anesthesia, mm -hmm. right? Now, this made the hairs on Kim Ramey's arm stand up because as a critical care nurse, she knows that if it's injected directly into you and used inappropriately, it can kill you. But not only that, it very quickly metabolizes through your system, so you can't find it post-mortem. My understanding based on my reading was that it's typically used in saline bags, so it's highly diluted and it's designed to immobilize muscles, but not totally immobilize them. But if it's injected, that's what it does. It's immobilizing. And the heart right. is a muscle. Exactly. When she tells the detectives this, it makes sense in light of the fact that they found those injection sites during the autopsy. Now that the police are armed with this information from both Kim Ramey and the rest of his co-workers, they now know that they're on the right trail to finding out what really happened to Kathy Augustine. Following up with the co-workers, detectives spoke with two individuals who wound up testifying at trial. One of them was Tina Carbone, who was a registered nurse and was one of the former managers of Higgs, and also Marlene Swanbeck. Tina Carbone, who was a supervisor, testified that succinylcholine was stored in crash carts in intubation kits in the emergency room, and it was also secured in refrigerators alongside other drugs. And she talked about how it was an intravenous anesthetic agent. Marlene testified at trial that she was a nurse working at the hospital, and while nurses needed to type in a security code to get registered drugs like succinylcholine, once inside, the nurse could take any drug they want, and they could switch out, and nobody would know. She said there was no way of tracking which drugs were missing, which, yes, could lead to potential misuse. 
Tita Carbone also testified that during the course of her employment with Higgs, she had to reprimand him for sending inappropriate emails to coworkers. He apparently was sending flirtatious messages to people. So nothing that was like, bow, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he joined a dating website and then he sent loving messages to his people who were interested in him from this website. When he was married? When he was married and when he was working. He's a catch. So anyway, Tina approaches him and is like, hey, buddy, this ain't cool. He can't do this. And so he turns it around and he basically tells her that he is married to this woman who is terribly abusive and manipulative and harassing and this whole thing, making my life a living hell. Tina winds up feeling sorry for Chaz and believes Chaz. that he is a abused husband. Okay, you know what's funny, though, is that if you meet this guy, if you even see this guy, he is not a believable person. Everything he says, every way he acts looks contrived. Mm -hmm. He's just slimy but also it's like i mean like where you see slime somebody else might see charm you know i mean honestly it's like it's like these people get away with stuff for so long because they're charming that's true that's a good point you know and on the charming note he met a woman named linda ramirez they used to work together and she was 21 years old she had some type of clerical position i don't remember what it was so he was in his 40s and she was 21 exactly nice so yes. you know come on linda seriously get with it linda <laughs> come on linda Anyway, so they start having an email relationship, and she winds up testifying at trial. And at trial, she said they only kissed one time. They did not have a physical relationship, but they have emails, and the emails span from January 2005 through August of 2006. So these emails span from a time period one month after his wife has died. I mean, they're obviously very flirtatious emails. So one of them says, how are things going? How was your Valentine's Day? Like basically seemingly mellow. But then there's another one that says, I really want to see you. Maybe on one of our days off, you should rent a hotel room and let me know where I can meet you. And then we can do dirty things. So Linda testifies that she knew that they were married, but it never elevated to a physical relationship. So what did he mean by dirty things then? I don't I think know. I have a different definition. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was talking about gardening. Yeah. <laughs> although he might have been talking about mowing something. <laughs> anyway... I believe that she spoke Tagalog, which is the language of the Philippines, but I'm not 100% sure on that because the news articles <laughs> called it Tagalong. <laughs> Maybe it was Girl Scout cookie time. <laughs> Maybe. Could be. Cookies. <laughs> so she had, during trial, she had to translate some of the emails that she had sent him oh. in her native tongue. And one of them that had to be translated said, I am your friend and I want to sleep with you. That's a good friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Chaz was telling Linda in these emails that his wife, Kathy, was controlling and manipulative, and he just wanted to be with her. And then at one point, he said, I hate this woman, and I will make her break. Charming. I know. See, you were right. He was charming. And then in another email, he said, in June, it's going to happen. Now. The dirty things or I, killing I, his wife? <laughs> I, probably killing his wife. Because in August, the month following Kathy's death, Higgs emailed her again, quote, I am single now. I moved out of Nevada. My wife had a sudden heart attack and passed away. I'm doing travel nursing and planning to live in San Diego. Sound good? Want to be my next victim? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so all of this information led the police to narrow their focus simply to Chaz. Chaz. 
detectives had motive and they had opportunity, they now need to turn to the science before they can arrest this man. So we go back to Kim Ramey, who was a critical care nurse who worked with Chaz Higgs at Washoe Medical Center. And she is the heroine of the story. She definitely is. She was the one that he was talking to the day before Kathy was brought in, and the conversation made the hairs raise on her arm. Right. Upon learning of Augustine's admittance, and remember, this is the day after she had had that conversation with Chaz. Chaz. She informed police about her previous conversations with Higgs. Ramey also had informed a colleague at the hospital who in turn informed Kathy Augustine's physician, Dr. Richard Ganchin, and told him he needed to test for succinylcholine levels on Augustine. They also were able to confirm that neither the paramedics nor the hospital staff administered any succinylcholine while treating Augustine. What hospital staff did was obtain a urine sample for this purpose. The reason they took urine instead of blood is that blood has enzymes that break the succinylcholine down faster, and urine does not have that. And this is a very quickly metabolized drug, which is why it's not found post-mortem. So the fact that they took urine from a live human being was so smart. And then I heard they basically put they it froze in the freezer. It. Yeah, they right. As Kathy said, the urine sample had been taken before Kathy Augustine had passed away, but they also took tissue samples that were taken after she had passed away. Were they from the injection site? They were from the injection mm. site. The hospital lab results of the urine sample tested positive for barbiturates, and the coroner's office laboratory results showed no signs of any substances. These are the tissue samples from the injection site. However, the laboratory hadn't been ordered to look for succinylcholine. And remember, this is also post-mortem. So they sent the urine sample to the FBI for further testing. FBI toxicologist Madeline Montgomery was responsible for testing the urine samples of Kathy Augustine. She explained that the FBI lab at which she worked had dealt with succinylcholine in the past and had procedures in place for its testing. She testified that Augustine's urine sample was in liquid state when she received it, and she refroze it to prevent degradation. She explained that succinylcholine is a very volatile chemical, and it breaks down into succinylmonocholine in the body. This is a substance, she pointed out, that does not occur naturally in human beings. And she found both substances in the urine sample of Kathy Augustine. Now, just as a side note, her testimony was somewhat controversial. On appeal, the defense said, hey, the problem was the urine sample was frozen, then it was liquefied, then it was refrozen, and she didn't follow any particular protocols, blah, blah, blah. This doesn't meet any kind of evidentiary admission standard based on science. And the court of appeal basically says, yes, it does. Dr. Montgomery then sent her toxicology results to the detectives in Reno. The toxicology results arrived in Nevada on Wednesday, September 27th of 2006. A first-degree murder warrant was issued for Chaz Higgs in Reno on Friday, September 29th of 2006. In the arrest warrant that was filed on September 29th, it said that Higgs had access to the paralytic drug and syringes at his job as a critical care nurse. On September 29th, Chaz Higgs was arrested in Hampton, Virginia. Side note, I also lived there for summer. <laughs> My nomadic friend. Exactly. So wait, so this is, I'm sorry. This, this is on is, Friday, September 29th, 2006. Okay, but how soon after they get the talks results? It was two days later. Oh, wow. Awesome. And he went to Hampton, Virginia, and this isn't written anywhere. This is just more of that inside baseball that I heard. 
Is it his identical twin brother, the one who showed up at the funeral and kind of confused everyone? Who's a SEAL team member and was stationed out on the East Coast in one of the even-numbered SEAL teams? Ah, nice. Detective Jenkins testified at trial that at the time of the arrest, they found a backpack on Chaz. They opened it up and they found a book and it was a nursing book. And there was a bookmark at a page concerning the administration of succinylcholine and a laminated three by five card with information concerning the drug. They also effectuated a search warrant at his home. They found another backpack there. Inside that backpack, there was a vial of a drug called Atomidate. I don't know what it's used for, but it was in his backpack, presumably obtained from the hospital. However, the significance is that there was no hospital record suggesting that Atomidate was missing. So this goes back then to the trial when the nurses were talking about how you punched in with one number and they had no idea what you were getting when you were in there. Exactly. So if you have an untrustworthy employee, they could basically take what they want and nobody would know because there was no accounting. I hope they've changed that. I really sincerely do too. The first degree murder trial of Chaz Higgs started almost a year to the day of Kathy Augustine's death. And the trial went very well for the prosecution. There were many people who took the stand and testified against him and testified about his flirtatious behavior, his emails, his trash talking of his wife, his plans for divorce, all of that. And like the true nature of a narcissist or a sociopath, whatever he qualified for, (laughs) exactly, he took the stand in his own defense and that did not go well. He would make statements that were so obviously provably false. For example, he testified that the nurse, Kim Ramey, who really is the star of this podcast, he testified that he only met her for the first time that day, the day before his wife died. That he confessed everything to her? Yeah. So that is a provably false assertion of fact. Why would you say that? But anyway, so it didn't go well for him. So he had a plan B. Before that, I also heard that he said that Kim Ramey was just mad at him because she'd asked him to go out for drinks with him that night and he turned her down. Ah, I see. Because he was a very faithful man. I'm sure that's why. Right. But yes, he did have a plan B. If you'll recall, back on the day of the funeral, Chaz had attempted to commit suicide. It was kind of seen as a bogus attempt, and that happened again. Clearly seeing the writing on the wall that this trial wasn't going very well, the day before the conviction came down, he attempted suicide again. But according to the Tahoe Daily Tribune of June 30th of 2007, Two of the jurors, including the jury foreman, said that his attempted suicide lacked credibility and that his attempt was bogus. He came back to court with bandages. Band-aids or bandages? Yeah, it could have been band-aids. <laughs> Who knows? The day after he returned, after having tried to kill himself, he testified that he slit his wrists that day because he thought he'd already cleared his name in earlier testimony. So now he could be with his wife in death. I can't even imagine being that defense attorney and putting your client on the stand, sir. Can you please tell the jury why you tried to kill yourself? Like, I mean, (laughs) again, it it just seems so ludicrous. It really does. On June 29th of 2007, Chaz Higgs was found guilty of first-degree murder in the poisoning death of state controller Kathy Augustine. The jury recommended a sentence of life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years. Chaz is currently serving his time in High Desert State Prison, which is in Southern Nevada, and he will be eligible for parole beginning in 2027, which doesn't sound that far away. It sure does not. Wonder if he'll get it. Get your pens ready. Exactly. (laughs) Let's all start writing that. (laughs) 
As a footnote to Kathy Augustine's murder, in 2008, despite not having lived in Nevada for more than a decade, Kathy's daughter, Dallas Augustine, who was then 28 years old, tried to capitalize on her mother's name and ran for the Las Vegas State Assembly seat her mother had held in 1993 and 1994. Now, I'm not using the term capitalize in a demeaning way because it's very common. When a politician passes away, usually in the middle of office, they will always run the widow or the widower of the person who passed away. Isn't that interesting? Well, it is, but it it makes sense, right? Because you're trying to hold the seat. Whichever political party has it, they want to hold it. And how many people really know the first names of the congressmen or the senators or the governors who represent them? So you'll have name recognition of the last name because all the press that happened attended to a death and And, the sympathy factor. Exactly. Actually, the most recent one that I can think of that was a little notorious was back in the late 90s. I believe it was 99, 98, right around there. A former singer... His name was Sonny Bono. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you right. don't know him, ask your parents. Ask your parents. <laughs> Just say Sonny and Cher. Yeah. Sonny Bono ran for Congress in the Palm Springs, California area. He'd actually, after his music career, turned to politics. He was the mayor of Palm Springs for quite some time and then ran for Congress. At the time, Congressman Sonny Bono was 62 years old, and it was over the Christmas holidays, and he had gone up to Lake Tahoe for a ski vacation with his family and passed away unexpectedly in a ski accident. As a result, his widow, Mary Bono, was on the ballot to succeed him in the special election. She was 36 years old and an aerobics instructor. She actually went forward and did some amazing things. She did get remarried after, gosh, she'd probably been there maybe 10 years and married a congressman from Florida. His name was Connie Mack. So she became Mary Mack. Oh, my God, that's (laughs) hilarious. Anybody who doesn't have kids, you might not know the book, but there's a book called Miss Mary Mack, and she was dressed all in black and had buttons all down her back. back. (laughs) So after Congresswoman Bono married Connie Mack, there was an article in the Washington Post that said that they had gotten married. It was kind of an announcement of this. And then in this newspaper article, it said there's no word on whether or not her dress had buttons down its back, back, back. That's awesome. You know that writer's like, I'm going to write this. I might get fired, but I'm going to write it. Exactly. And it made its way in. Exactly. I'm not sure everybody got it, but like those who understood that knew it was hysterical. That's hilarious. So Dallas had a number of things going against her running for this seat. First, she was a Republican running in a very Democratic district. And secondly, the incumbent was very popular. So her bid for office was not successful. Four years later in 2012, Dallas made headlines for a far different reason. According to a Las Vegas Sun article by Jacques Biod, who was writing for the Associated Press, Dallas had married a woman named Jessie McCaskill about six years prior. Investigators were told that Dallas Augustine had had an affair with a woman she met in a bar and that the other woman tried to extort Augustine under threat of exposing this relationship. Dallas was kicked out of the house after she told McCaskill about the affair and expressed suicidal thoughts at that time. Augustine wrote a confession about the affair And McCaskill actually later posted that on her Facebook page. No way. Yes. How horrible is that? That's terrible. Friends and family told police that McCaskill and Dallas had reunited with hopes of making things work, Mm -hmm. but problems had continued to persist. On Tuesday, August 28th, Phoenix police were sent to their house on a welfare check. And it was there that they found Dallas Augustine and Jesse McCaskill dead in their home in an apparent murder-suicide. A police report later said that their investigation revealed that Dallas Augustine, who was 32, had killed 50-year-old Jesse McCaskill before turning the gun on herself. 
What's really sad about this whole case with Kathy Augustine is that per capita, Nevada is always at the top of the list in terms of the women who are killed by their domestic partners or their spouses. And what a cruel twist of irony that Kathy Augustine is killed as a result of domestic violence, and then her daughter turns around and does that to someone else. Thanks for listening to us. In addition to the reviews, please hit us up on all of our socials. We are at Killer Destinations Podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have anything to say, any cases you might want to suggest, or just want to chat, please let us know. Thanks so much. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.